Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to A Word with Tom Merritt, a show about how we think about things and I am alone in the front room again today. Uh, it's uh, just a chance for me to share some of the things I'm musing on. This time, I want to share my musings about authority. Now, I might use this word again with a guest uh, because there are so many facets of the word authority. But I'm going to narrow down. I'm going to zoom in on a particular aspect of authority here. So we're not talking about dictators this time. Uh, we're not talking about authoritarianism. I want to talk about how we give authority to a source. And particularly how I think the authority that is commonly misascribed to technological platforms is one of the less discussed aspects of why social media and technology in general are having what I have described as an accelerant effect on something that's existed forever, which is conspiracy theories, misinformation, call it what you will, that sort of milieu of things that cause extreme opinions to rise. Those aren't new. We've had extreme opinions forever. My favorite example is I had an uncle who gave me a pamphlet in the late 70s when I was like eight, nine years old uh, about how uh, President Carter was the Antichrist. And the pamphlet went into great detail to prove that it is exactly the kind of thing you see on certain blogs and Facebook posts. They cherry pick evidence, they pull things out of context to support a wild claim in a way that makes you go, oh, well, maybe it's true, especially if you're eight years old. My dad quickly debunked it. Thankfully, he was my fact checker. But he also was not a big fan of President Carter, but he was one of those people who was like, well, I don't necessarily like the guy, but none of that's true. So I feel like what we're experiencing now in the world is not arise because of social media, but an acceleration of that, an acceleration of those kinds of opinions so that we all see them more and those messages get in front of more faces. I think the percentage of people who are likely to get drawn in and believe them is no different. It's just that the messages can reach more of them. So it's more efficient, right? Uh, maybe 30% of the world would have believed an extreme thing in the past, Whatever side of the political spectrum you're on, okay, I'm, I'm not pointing a finger here because there's extremes on both sides. Uh, and But in the past, only, let's say, 12% of them got a message that caused them to change a belief or, or get more extreme or whatever. And now, instead of 12% of the 30%, now we're getting close to 100% of the 30%. Does that make sense? So, yes, I do think there is an effect of the Internet. Facebook, Twitter, etc. on that. 
I don't know how big it is. I don't know how big of an effect it is because I haven't seen anyone do a really good analysis of it. That is one of those questions that everybody just assumes it's true because it seems obvious, but it may not be true. And if it is true, it may not be as true as we think it is. I think that's where we really run into trouble as humans is when we think in binary about stuff and act as if something is 100% true when really its effect is smaller. And maybe we take actions to try to stop the small effect that are so out of proportion that they either cause other bad things to happen as side effects or they have the opposite effect. Anyway, that's a rabbit hole for another day. I bring all that up to show you where my head's at when I think about what I imagine, and there's no study on this either. This is just my opinion, but it's how I think about it. I imagine that one of the bigger problems is mundane, everyday misunderstandings multiplied across the populace. So again, uh, that, that sort of misunderstanding that in the past wouldn't penetrate as far because it couldn't spread as fast uh, before it got debunked, but now can spread in an instant because of the accelerant of the internet, because of the accelerant of Facebook, Twitter, etc. Uh, and I think those mundane things lay a foundation where people just start to believe uh, enough small things that are inaccurate, maybe not even wrong, but just inaccurate, that when they go to build a bigger picture, that bigger picture that they build is wrong because it's made up of small inaccuracies. So, you know, I, I'm trying to think of a good example uh, of an old one, uh, but there, there's there's so many of these that we run across. Uh, one I talked about the other day on on Good Day Internet was drinking six to eight glasses of water. That is a misunderstanding that has spread far and wide. Uh, I remember somebody in a rhetoric class in college uh, used it as a premise for a speech, like we should drink six to eight glasses of water. Here's the evidence for it, and it turns out it's not true. <laughs> Uh, that it comes from a small fact of, well, six to eight glasses of water is probably on average what most people ought to get, meaning they should get that water, not drink six to eight glasses of water. And you get water in the food you eat. You get water in coffee. You get water in lots of ways that aren't drinking a glass of water. And also, it was a rough average for the entire human populace. Some people are going to need more water in a day, if they're, especially if they're working hard. Others are going to need less water uh, because they're in a cool climate and they and they're, can't move around, so they're not sweating. Really, the recommendation I've heard from doctors is pay attention to how thirsty you are and and keep in mind if you have any special effects like working hard and sweating a lot and then drink more when you're sweating a lot and when it's hot, uh, even then when you're thirsty and otherwise, you know, pay attention to when you're thirsty. That is the kind of thing that has spread without the Internet. Now, take a bunch of those and make them more attuned to a specific topic. And suddenly you have people believing things about how the world works, what works in an economy, or what the proper ways uh, to uh, to correct things are. Uh, and you have a recipe for people manipulating you because you think something is true that isn't exactly true. And you're not thinking it's true because you've even been lied to. It's because you're 
ascribing authority to the sources in which you got the information incorrectly. So I'm going to I'm going to circle back to that authority word. Trust me. I do want to throw in uh, another example or two here because I think I think it's important to wrap your head around uh, the importance of this. So this may may not be the best example as as far as coming to an incorrect conclusion, but I think it gets us close and shines a light on it. A recession is two quarters of negative growth, right? No. It's not. <laughs> that is a shortcut that someone put out there at one time to say, hey, a recession has a very complicated definition, but usually if you see two quarters of negative growth, that's probably a recession. That is true. So we get two quarters of negative growth in a really weird time. And suddenly everybody's arguing about whether it's a recession or not. And everyone else is trotting out, well, everybody knows two quarters of negative growth is a recession. And then the other side says, well, that's not exactly true. And then you say, well, everybody's known that true since the 80s. Uh, you're trying to hide the fact that we're not in a recession. And I will tell you, I don't care who gets to win points on this. I just want to know if we're in a recession or not. And the economists that I have actually trusted and, and looked at say we're probably in a recession. We may not be in a recession yet. Uh, and there are ways in which you could see negative growth for two quarters because of this and that number uh, that would imply we're not in a recession and if we overcorrect, we'll push ourselves into a recession. So that's a great example of if you are operating on the wrong assumption, you could take an action that will actually make things worse. So there are situations where you could have two quarters of technically negative growth uh, and yet you're coming out of the recession. It's just a quirk of how the math works, which is why They've said, well, most of the time when it's two quarters of negative growth, yeah, but there are some exceptions. And it's those exceptions. It's the nuance that always gets us. And if you're coming out of the growth, but you decide to act like we're in a recession, uh, you could, A, cause inflation to get worse. <laughs> Sound familiar? Uh, or B, do something that's going to actually push you into a recession because you're fixing a problem that's not there. Uh, you assume that the recession is caused by X, whereas X is not a problem, which is why the economists paying attention know that we're not in a recession. Uh, again, this is all drawn from the headlines, but not me describing what's going on or whether we are or are not in a recession. Uh, my sense is we, we probably are, uh, but I think it's important to be sure before you start taking uh, the the measures. And, and if we weren't all worried about winning points on the board and moving people into a, a, a ballot box, we could have a rational conversation about it, but where that's not uh, where we're at. So everybody instead wants to be like, oh, I want to prove we're not, and I want to prove we are. And, and that's a recipe for not proving anything at all and uh, maybe accidentally doing the wrong thing. So authority. Why did we believe that two quarters of uh, negative growth was a recession. Well, because we heard it from reputable sources. I heard it on broadcast television and we, it's repeated on broadcast television. It's in newspapers. So I don't think it's bad that people believe that it was the nuance that we lost. I, I was using that as an example of how you can believe something that's inaccurate and it can have unintended consequences. Now, 
let's take something that's less subtle and have everybody believe it, uh, that such and such person assaulted someone uh, or that a uh, movie is not going to happen because uh, people at the movie were doing something bad. I should probably come up with a better example, but but these sort of mundane things that start to build a block of, well, you know, they always assault people from that thing. Well, maybe those people never assaulted people, and maybe nobody even believes they assaulted people, but you heard it somewhere, and so it's stuck in your mind, and you think it's true because you don't have the time to track down what's true and what's not all the time. And, and so I don't blame you for believing a few things that you read because you, it's not your job to be a full-time fact checker. Where did you hear it? This is something I often ask people. Oh, where, where did you hear that? Twitter. Okay, but, but who on Twitter? I don't know. <laughs> There's the problem. Now, if you hear something on broadcast television, I tend to give that a 3 out of 10 in reliability. Uh, mostly because broadcast television could mean a lot of things. It could mean the nightly news, which I think is probably more like a six or seven, or it could mean an entertainment show on a 24-hour news network, which I would give like a one or a two, because those are just meant to rile you up. So I don't think that broadcast television is bad, but I think there's a lot of different aspects of it. And I think their job is to put compelling visuals up and because they're in a time limit, a lot of times nuance gets lost. That's why I would say even the nightly news, which I think is mostly trustworthy, is probably only a seven because you can have that nuance lost like the two quarters equals a recession, which is mostly true. Good enough for a three-minute segment. You're talking about newspapers. Eh, I say on general newspapers, six to eight. Again, it depends on the newspaper. And when I say newspaper, I am talking about long-standing sources that attempt to report. I'm not talking about their op-ed pages. I have very different opinions about the New York Times op-ed page and the Wall Street Journal op-ed page than I do about the New York Times reporting and the Wall Street Journal reporting or the Washington Post op-ed page and the Washington Post reporting. These are these are very different things, and we tend to confuse them. Uh, the opinion sections are biased and meant to put a biased opinion. They're, they're opinions. Uh, the news sections of these outlets generally tend to get things right. Now, they may write them in a way that tries to shine a light a certain way. I find the New York Times does that quite a bit. But actually, the Washington Post and the, the Wall Street Journal actual reporting tends to stay fairly middle of the road. I, I wouldn't say objective because I don't think humans are 100% capable of objectivity, but they're certainly closer to objectivity uh, than a lot of other outlets. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
But if you've noticed, I'm talking about broadcast journalism. I'm talking about written journalism. Let's talk about blogs. There are some blogs that are worth paying attention to. They tend to blur the lines between opinion a lot more. But there's your The Hill, Politico, Insider that I think are certainly in the six to eight range. Uh, they do very good reporting and they do a very good job. You have to be careful again, whether you're reading an opinion piece or a clickbait piece or an actual reporting piece. But these outlets that I just mentioned do a fairly good job of having solid reporting that, that you can rely on and is trying to help you understand something. But again, none of these are Google or Facebook or Twitter or YouTube. Those aren't authorities. And here's where I've been going with all of this the whole time. We have a cultural momentum to believe that a popular thing from a company that I read or watch is an authority. And that comes from a basis that comes not from an unjustified basis. In the past, to be able to afford to broadcast the news, even on a local basis, you had to put a lot of effort and money into it. And granted, there's problems with that because the money can affect the coverage, but there were also fewer of those. So there could be a lot more eyes putting checks and balances on how far they could be biased. And by and large, the one or two newspapers that you had in each town, the three or four broadcast news outlets that you had, and the, the three major broadcast news networks in the 70s and 80s that, that you had for national news were fairly reliable. Not 100% reliable, but fairly reliable. And so as one of those shortcuts that I'm talking about, we said, well, if it comes from a big network, if it comes from my daily paper, uh, then I can probably believe it. Maybe not believe every single thing, but I'm, I'm going to take a shortcut and say, well, that is probably mostly right. Those of us who grew up and were trained that way from the 30s uh, onward uh, in the 1900s, I think couldn't be forgiven for mistaking the platform for the source. Where did I read it? On Google. Where did I read it? On Twitter. Where did I read it? On Facebook. And taking that shortcut of, but, but I read it in the paper and applying it to Facebook. It's not right, and I'm sure you know that, but it's something that I think even you might, not saying you do, but maybe somebody like you who's as savvy about this might accidentally do. It's just a habit. It's ingrained. And so you read something. You don't think about it critically. You just read it. It sticks in your head. And in your head, your brain goes, read a thing at authoritative source. You don't remember that you saw it on Facebook, but you do remember that it was an authoritative source. And it's not because you don't know better. It's because that's how our brains work. And so you say, well, I, I heard blah, 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 blah. And maybe when I ask you where you heard it, you're like, no, nah, I just read it somewhere, some, somewhere authoritative. You won't say authoritative, but you know what I mean. You'll say like, oh, no, I read it somewhere reliable. And it'll be a Facebook post from somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. But your brain just wants to call that authoritative. I think this gives me some hope for the future. 
because A, we are trainable and we are learning that the source, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Google, TikTok, isn't the authority. And we are starting to learn to differentiate the source within the platform, starting to see the platform as a delivery mechanism. Think of it this way. If a friend called you on the phone and said uh, something about a claim about like, oh, the government's going to come and take all our bookshelves. Uh, it's a it's a total plan. And you passed it along to somebody and said, yeah, I heard the government's coming to take all our bookshelves. And that person said, where'd you hear that? You wouldn't say the telephone. <laughs> you wouldn't say AT&T. I heard it on AT&T because you know that AT&T isn't the authority there. You, It's your friend on the phone. So you're going to say it was your friend and then, well, what does your friend know? Uh, but if I were to say AT&T, well, Probably someone would be like, wait, what? AT&T? How did that, you know, there would be questions, but it would be an authority. It would be a big company. Now imagine uh, you're talking about Facebook, which everyone else also associates with reading things. They may accept that. They may not say, well, but who on Facebook? So we need to start learning to differentiate that and say, Facebook's the phone company. Google's the phone company. Uh, <laughs> YouTube is, is the newspaper box. You, you, you wouldn't read something in the newspaper, tell someone about it. And when they ask you, where, where did you get that information from? Say, oh, the, that metal box on the corner. Kids ask your parents. So we need to differentiate that, that, that is a platform. That is not where we read it. We need to learn that as a culture. And I think those of us who are younger and are coming up not using Facebook, apparently, using other outlets, are learning that by default because they're also creating it. They're like, well, I could have created this, so I, I'm, I'm not going to believe it just because it's on the platform because I created it on the platform. Uh, I, I am going to look at the sources, maybe. Hopefully, that's my hope, is that we start to learn that the authority for a source is the speaker, and we learn to differentiate the platform from the speaker better. Now, granted, that is not the only problem in misinformation out there. It's certainly not the the keystone. Uh, if we just do a massive campaign and educate people, uh, it's the phone company. We're not going to solve the problem with that. But I I think it is a an important element of it, and I don't think it gets enough attention. And I try when someone. At, tells me a thing they heard to say, well, where did you hear that? Where did you read that? Where does that come from? And I would say 70% of the time, people either don't know or they say, well, I read it somewhere. Uh, if they remember, a lot of times is, well, I don't know, I remember I read it on Facebook or Twitter. Granted, more people don't consider that to be authoritative, but I think what is concerning is they didn't think about it before. And once you start to point it out, they go, yeah, actually, I don't remember where I saw it. And if they're not engaged to win the argument, if you're if they're arguing to learn, not arguing to win, they're more likely to say, yeah, maybe that's not true. Uh, if they're trying to win, it's best to just back off like, oh, OK, well, if you find out where you where you found it, let me know. 
And maybe then they'll start thinking about it in their own time. Remember, you don't you, to change someone's mind. You don't have to see the evidence. You don't you don't have to have them capitulate, go down on their knees, and throw their hands up and say, "Ah, oh, you were right." A lot of times, all you need to do is plant that seed and that let them think about it later in a way that doesn't have them lose face in front of you by losing the argument. Uh, and I think we can get to a point where people realize, oh, I, I need to know actually who's saying it. Now, there's a whole situation about trusting people you shouldn't trust. I've had conversations with neighbors who are who know exactly where they heard it. It's on, usually on TV. And they know exactly who said it. It was the host of that TV show. And I don't find that TV show credible. And they do. That's a different problem. Uh, but But I think... Knowing about the authority of a platform and what the platform's authority is and is not, it's an authority in delivering things. It's not an authority in vetting the things, uh, I think, is is really important, uh, really important thing to think about. Anyway, I hope that that also uh, is of interest to you. I'm not telling you to agree with me. Uh, I, I, I always like to make sure that I point that out. Uh, I am saying this is how I'm thinking about it. And if you can take anything from the way I'm thinking about it and it's helpful for you, good. Uh, if you thought about everything that I was thinking and none of it is helpful for you, well, I hope you were at least entertained by by, by the time we spent together and no harm done. Uh, these are always just me sharing what I think and it's why I like to bring guests on most of the time so that it's not just what I think. It's also an interplay between how I think and how that person thinks. Thanks to our producers, Jen Cutter and Anthony Lamos. Thank you for listening to the show, telling your friends about it. You can get an ad-free version of the show with Acast Plus. Click on Access Exclusive Content at awordpodcast.com. We'll have a word with you next time. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.